Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, hey, Liverpool One Church, it's great to see you. Stay standing just real quick. Man, I'm so glad that you guys have made it to church to be with us today. But just before we jump into the message, just let me tell you something real quick. Now, um, and I kind of think that this is super exciting. This is actually completely going a million miles away from the very reason why we started this church in a living room in the very first place. But I just want to let you know something because those two worship songs that we've been singing today, we just sang Promises to Me and we just sang a brand new one that actually I did the same thing at the 10. So what is it called? Number one where you are, even that song number one called Where You Are, that has just like been written by our band and our team just in a local church here. Yeah, come on, let, let, let's give it up to them. I mean, man, I'm just grateful that these guys are willing to humble themselves and just outwork their God-given gift to say, Lord, use me. Use me in the format of just building a local church. I absolutely love that, especially when we consider that we live in a day and an age where it's all really about how can I become Instagram famous? How can I make my life about me, my career, my development? These guys are literally going, you know what? I'm willing to use my gift for the benefit of the local house. And this is where it gets real exciting because, man, I'm not kidding. We did not start this church for anything like this, but I'm so honoured that I get to play a really small spot, small part in leading it. But actually on Sunday, the 1st of October at six o'clock, we're actually going to be having our very first album recording night. We're going to be filming in here. We're going to be recording the whole thing. And um, I would love it if you would join us and be with us that evening. Now, I'm just going to tell you from the jump, it's going to have to be a ticketed only kind of event just for the simple reason that we're just not going to fit everybody in. So if you want to be a part of the album recording on Sunday, the 1st of October at six o'clock, you just need to say, go to our Instagram page. You can just click the link that's in our bio at Liverpool One Church, and you can just be taken straight away to a brush fire link and you can get a ticket to be in the room completely free. But honestly, we don't want you to miss out, but we just know that the trajectory of it, it's going to mean that not everybody's going to be able to be a part of it. So if you want to be in the room, make sure you get your ticket. Okay, so in just a moment, we are going to pray, but just let me tell you where we're going from the jump and from the off today. We're in week two of our series called Mark My Words, where we've been exploring some of the stories and some of the gospel accounts as written and as evidenced by Mark. Mark's gospel is a little bit different because he's the action to the point kind of guy. Luke is the forensic doctor that likes to give us the details that sometimes we're not even asking or thinking about. Luke likes to share that with us, Mark doesn't. Mark just includes only what is massively important for us to know and he gets straight to the point. And we're gonna be looking at a story from Mark chapter one today that actually is a story that I think is a, a beautiful picture of how God works in our life, where he ends up having this interaction with somebody that feels completely hopeless. Now that's something that I think that we can all relate to. If you're in church today and you're feeling somewhat hopeless, 
almost like it doesn't feel to you like there's any light at the end of the tunnel, like you're just carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. You're in here and you're trying your best to engage in the worship, but you're just weighed down because you're carrying stuff. There's stuff going on between the ears that is worrying you, that is concerning you, that is a problem for you. Well, I want you to know that actually in God, there's a way that you could become hopeful, even if you're in a season of being hopeless. So I'm really believing that for some of you, you're gonna experience breakthrough today. You're gonna almost feel this sense of God just lifting the weight of you, off you in, in the way that only God can do. Because the reality is, is that all I've got to offer are just simple words. What we want you to do is not look to me, but we want you to look to the God that we look to as well. And as we do that, I believe that breakthrough can happen. I believe that change can happen. But I don't think that it's likely unless we put Him first and right-size Him first. So let's pray. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Holy Spirit, we ask you today to come and be in the midst of everything that we're about to talk about. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would speak through every single one of these words, thoughts, concepts, and ideas. Lord, I pray that you'd open up our hearts, that you'd give us ears to hear today, so that even if we find ourselves now or in the future, in a time or a season that can, that can feel really hopeless, that as we lean into you, we'd be encouraged to be hopeful again. Let it be the case that when we all leave church today, we walk out knowing, feeling like we've just heard something deposited into the depth of our soul from you, our maker in heaven. And we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. Go ahead and take your seats, guys. It is brilliant to have you with us in church today. You know, does anybody know what it's like to have a bad day? Like, has anybody ever experienced what it's like sometimes to maybe have a bad day or a, a bad week even, you know, where there's just a sequence of events that are oftentimes taking place that it can feel like you've got no control over. Some things happen that just blindside you. They, they take you by surprise and very quickly your bad day becomes a bad week that can actually turn into an incredibly bad season in your life. I think that that's something that we all know about. A while back, I was having a bad day. I was having a bad day because like, I just had a lot to do and I had a bunch of emails to chase. I had appointments that I needed to be at. I was like getting some text messages from my wife, Emma, and you husbands know what this is like when your wife's saying, hey, you need to be here at this time. You need to be home by this time because one of the kids has got a thing and I'm already running late. And then she texts me again and said, hey, on your way home, can you like call in at the cash point and just get some cash because one of the boys needs a tenner? Can you do that? I haven't got any cash. And I just felt like, man, I'm just having a bad day. I'm chasing my tail, you know? I feel like I can't keep on top of everything that I need to do. And now I'm speeding, I'm racing home because I need to get back for this designated time. And literally, as I'm driving home, I call in at a petrol station because I'm thinking that's the most easy and convenient place for me to get some cash. But there's one thing that I've learned about petrol station ATM machines, and that's that they're not always like when you go to your bank's ATM machine. Because when you go to the ATM in the petrol station, they're the ones that like literally, they will charge you £2.50 to just simply take out a tenner. And I'm like, what a ripoff is that? And I can remember I went into this petrol station and there's the machine and it says, you know, cash withdrawal fee, £2.50. And I'm like looking at the cashier, this young 
girl behind the till who's got a line of people that she's trying to just deal with and pay for all of their fuel. And I said to her, like, seriously, is this machine going to charge me £2.50? And she, young girl, she was like, I don't know. Like, it's not her responsibility to deal with the ATM machine. And I'm kind of like, I've got my hand on the top and I'm huffing and I'm puffing. And I'm thinking, should I take out 20 just to minimalize the fee? I mean, I'm thinking like a tenner, £12.50 for 10 quid. And I'm starting to speak this out aloud. And I'm saying to her, like, this is wrong, you know, this is a rip-off, you know. I mean, seriously, rip-off Britain. This is just crazy. And this young girl, honestly, she's just looking shell-shocked. And I'm like at one point going, you know, is the manager about, you know, as if the manager is going to be able to waiver this £2.50 fee. And I'm literally giving her the daggers as I'm keying this in. And then I'm trying to think, I wonder whether I could go to another bank, but that's about seven miles away. Like, what would it cost me to get there? And I'm already hard-pressed for time. Am I even going to get there in time? And I'm thinking, oh, what What the heck? I'll just pay the £2.50 fee. So, like, I pay the £2.50, and I'm giving her loads again. It's a rip-off this, everyone in the line. It's a rip-off this, you know, and I get my £10 out, and this young girl, she's just looking at me, like, just cashing everybody else's fuel. And then literally, as I walked out the door, this poor girl, she just said, excuse me. And I turned around and said, yes. She goes, um, do you go to Liverpool One Church? <laughs> and as quick as a button, I just said, no, he just looks like me and walked out the door. <laughs> I was just like, I do not want to own the fact that I am being an absolute idiot to this young girl. I felt so terrible. So if you're in church today, I'm so sorry. Like, you can blame my wife. She was putting me under a lot of pressure that day. <laughs> But the reality of it is, is that we all know what it's like to have a bad day, right? We all know what it's like to have a bad week or even a bad season. And I think that this is something that we've all got in common. I mean, for me, it was a bad day in a petrol station trying to do battle with an ATM machine. For you, it might be something completely different. But we're all the same. We all know what it's like to have a bad day. I mean, for some of us, you know what it's like to feel like you've had all of your hopes and all of your dreams dashed. I mean, the reality of it is, is that you know what it's like to have a bad season in your career when you've tried to go up the ladder and it just hasn't happened. For others, you know exactly what it's like to have a bad season educationally. Like, the reality is, is it doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to go to medical school, okay? Like, and now the dawn of that and the realisation of that is dawning upon you. You just feel like, I'm hopeless now. This isn't what I was planning. For some of you, you know what it's like to have interrupted travel plans. You're having a bad day, a bad season. For others, you know what it's like to be sat down by a doctor or a consultant and have them say to you, look, here's the thing. We're not going to be able to cure it, but we're going to be able to give you this tablet and it will make things a bit easier. And now you're carrying and living with the weight of feeling like, is this season ever going to end? I mean, financially, you know what it's like to have a bad season. You know what it's like to have the pain and the frustration of not being able to make the rent, to make the payment, to find the kids' dinner money. Emotionally, that then feeds into this whole idea of, well, it's making me somewhat more emotionally unstable because I'm trying to manage all of these tensions all of the time. I mean, for some of us, you just know that your bad day is materialised into a bad week and you're just in a bad season. And the thing about bad days or bad seasons, if you're anything like me, is they kind of just make you a little bit angry. First and foremost, they make me get angry with the people that I actually love the most. I find that when I'm in a bad season, I find that I'm short with even my own wife and my own kids. 
I'm almost aggressive in a way that really, it's nothing to do with them. It's not their fault, but it just makes me angry. But what I've also found out about myself is when I feel like I'm having a bad day or a bad season, I get angry with God too. I'm like, God, why is this even happening to me? Why am I the one that's having to put up with this today? Like, seriously, God, like, how long is this season going to last in my life? And we all know what this feels like. And when you start to get angry with God and feel like you shouldn't be dealing with this, but you are, if you're anything like me, you'll then start to compare your life with everybody else. And social media is terrible for this. You go online and actually what you see is everybody else has got the perfect life. So whilst you're really struggling with something in your family or in your marriage or in your finances, all you can see online is everybody else living the blessed life, like perfect kids, perfect jobs, perfect financial situation. And it just feels to you like, well, this isn't fair at all. And what I have found is that it's in those days, weeks and seasons where you feel like life is going horribly wrong, that's the time where you're most likely to doubt God. It's in those seasons where you feel like your life is going horribly wrong that you doubt God the most. And we're all not too dissimilar in this because the reality is, is that when life is going great for you, you don't feel like quitting. When life is perfect and you've just got married and you've just had the baby and you've just bought the house, the car, the holiday, when life's going amazing for you, you're not thinking about doubting God at all. I mean, in those seasons, you're like, isn't God great? But at the moment, something starts to go horribly wrong. If you're anything like me, that's the time and the season where you start to question, well, does God know? Does God care? Does he know what I'm going through? That's the season where you feel like quitting the most. And what's interesting is we seem very unable to do in our lives what we tell our friends to do when they're in a season that we now find ourselves in. When our friends go through a difficult season, do you know what we tell them? We say, just trust in God. God's got this. God knows where you're at. And yet when I'm in the same season, I'm like, God, where are you? Do you even care? Do you even know? And what's funny as well is that we not only wonder where God is, but that's almost ironic to me. Because when you're having a bad season, you start to wonder, like, God, do you know what's going on in my life? And yet it's ironic because there are seasons and times in your world where you have prayed that God would not be watching what you're getting up to. There have been seasons where you're even planning a good time to do something completely contrary to what God would say is the best for you. When you were planning the weekend away with the boys and you were going to get up to A, B and C, when you were going to run away with him, when you were going to invest in that by borrowing from there, there have been times and seasons in your life where you're like, God, I hope that you're not watching. But at the moment that you feel like your life is going wrong, like everything's starting to break, everything's starting to collapse, now they're the seasons that we start to wonder, well, God, do you even know what I'm going through? So my question really is this, what are you supposed to do when you feel like your life is going horribly wrong? What are you supposed to do when you're having a really bad day? What are you supposed to do when you're in a really bad season? We're going to take a jump into Scripture and we're going to look at a brilliant story to help us find some answers to this question. And we're going to go straight into the very first chapter of Mark's Gospel that records an account, an interaction, in fact, that takes place with an incredibly broken, messed up, hurting man that really approached Jesus and had no clue how Jesus would receive him. So let's go, Matthew 1, starting in verse 40. 
A man with leprosy came to him, meaning Jesus, and begged him on his knees. Let's just pause and hang there for a moment. I have a question for you. How desperate would you become in order to beg somebody by getting on your knees? How bad must things really become in order for you to see yourself begging somebody? Because however bad that is for you, that was this man's life. We're going to find out in the story, but this man had come to the end of himself. I mean, things were going so horribly wrong in this guy's life. He throws himself down on the floor and he starts to beg Jesus for help. The text goes on. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to see him from everywhere. Imagine this scene. Jesus, who is a religious teacher, he's a rabbi of the day. And actually, when he came into town, hundreds and thousands of people would all flock around him. Why? Because they had seen that Jesus was the man that could do miracles. And now this guy, in his broken mess of a state, now experiencing and suffering from this disease called leprosy that might not be common today, but 2,000 years ago, it was incredibly common and it was devastatingly contagious. This man has this dilemma about what on earth am I gonna do because my life is broken and yet Jesus is coming to town. And all of a sudden, we see this interaction between a leper and Jesus and that interaction would have shocked everybody. People would have been horrified at this account. Horrified because here is this leper, and by the way, he has this contagious skin disease and everybody would have seen it on him. You would have been able to notice immediately that he was a leper, but they would have been horrified that he was out in and amongst the crowd, but equally so, they would have been horrified that Jesus would even entertain a conversation with him. I mean, the reality of it is this was shocking to the people who were in that crowd on that day. We don't know a lot about this man, but what we do know is that Mark was recording something that he was an eyewitness for, so we can tell that he was a real man. We don't know the real background and the real context of this man's life. We don't know his story, but we know he was a real man. So if he was a real man, we can expect that he was having real life experiences, like you would too. This was a man whose life we don't know the details of, but we can assume that if he's a real man, he probably had a real family. Perhaps he had kids, perhaps he had a wife, perhaps he had friends, perhaps he was sometimes involved in the so-called circles of his community and he would have been invited out to a party and to a barbecue. But everything changed for him on this day that he found out that he got leprosy. Because on the day that he found out that he got leprosy, all of his hopes and dreams and aspirations for his future would have completely vanished. In the same way that if you're a parent, that maybe you have aspirations for, for your children. This man with leprosy had aspirations for his children too. And yet on this day, when he finds out 
that he has leprosy, everything starts to go horribly wrong. And we don't know because the account doesn't tell us, but we know he's a real man. And we don't know how he found out and discovered he was suffering from leprosy. Perhaps one morning he'd gotten up and he went to give himself a wash and wash down his eyes and face before he was going to go and head out to work that day. Perhaps as he's looking in the mirror, he was able to see for the very first time something that would have seen fear ridden throughout his entire body. Because now as he splashes water into his face, perhaps he's looking in the mirror and now for the first time he sees these small, white, circular spots all around his eyes and now he starts to worry and he starts to panic and he can feel the anxiety. As he earnestly starts to look down to his hands and check out his fingers as well, where he can also see these white spots. And he knows what this is indicative of. He knows what this is a sign of. So perhaps he went running down the stairs where he found his wife whom he loved. And perhaps with tears down his eyes, he demanded and shouted at her, please tell me that you can't see what I can see as he's looking at the spots in his skin. And now his wife's silence says it all. Because now it was in this moment the silence turned to panic, shock and horror as she falls to her knees and shouts and screams and wails at the top of her voice. And now he knows that she can see the same thing that he can see also. Now he's suffering from leprosy. Can you imagine it? Like, honey, please tell me that you can't see the same thing. And now she begins to realise that for him and for their entire family, everything from this point on will start to change. Because he would have known all about leprosy. You were brought up and you were taught by the religious rabbis, stay away from people that have this skin disease. You need to be at least six feet away from them. In fact, they were instructed that whenever they were out in any kind of social space or a city side street or walking through town, they had to shout out at the top of their voice, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, so that it would give anybody that was nearby their location the opportunity to stay well away from them. And he could now see this was going to be his future. He was aware of the stigma that was associated with leprosy. And I know that leprosy is not a thing today, but the stigma of suffering with leprosy back then might be an equivalent to suffering with the stigma of what AIDS is today. It was a similar type of struggle and now they're knowing that there's no cure for this. And this man, whose life we don't know for sure all the details of, but if he did have kids, maybe he was looking at his kids thinking and feeling that is the last time that he's ever going to be able to embrace any of his children ever again. No more cuddles with dad. No more kisses on the top of the forehead telling them to have a great day in Jewish school. Like that was all gonna change from this point on. He would never again have been able to have been intimate with his wife. No cuddles, no embrace, no kiss, no holding hands. Everything from this point on was going to change and everything was looking completely hopeless for this man. I mean, not only would he have had to have dealt with the physical pain that leprosy would have brought to him, because the problem with leprosy is that it would damage all the nerve endings on your skin. 
So oftentimes lepers would look very disfigured because they would end up inadvertently damaging their toes, their fingers, their ears, their nose, and they wouldn't even be aware that they were bleeding and oozing with pus and be disfigured. They wouldn't even know because the nerve endings would be completely damaged. But now he has to live with the stigma of looking like he's somebody that has this physical disability now. Now he's got this physical thing going on that's going to be unsightly or so he thinks to everybody else is around him. But it's not just the physical pain that he's got to deal with. He's also got to deal with the fact now he's going to have an incredibly troubled mind. Because the teaching of the day was if you were suffering from leprosy, the rabbis would teach and say, well, that's only come upon you because of some kind of sin that you've done in your past. So now this man's got all the physical side of things to worry about, but all the mental side of things too. Like, God, what did I do? Like, what was the sin that was so bad that caused you to curse me with this disease of leprosy? Like, what is this about? What did I do? Where did I go wrong? Where did I go off track? And he was gonna be made to feel like everything that he now was suffering with, he deserved it because he'd done something wrong. This was his punishment. He would have been aware as well of as what Leviticus 13 verses 45 and 46 teach when it says that anyone with such a defiling disease must live alone and shout unclean. In other words, from this point on, he'd have to live in a leper colony with his face covered. And every time he went out, again, he'd be shouting, I'm unclean. He'd have to live outside of the city, near the city gates, and just hope that if he was in an abandoned cave, that somebody somewhere would have mercy upon him and and throw him some unused, mouldy bread. It was the only way he was going to be able to eat because nobody wanted to be around this guy. This guy was not getting any other invitations to the party, to the barbecue. He was never going to be allowed out in public again in the same way that he'd always been used to. This guy was not only having a bad day, his life is taking a turn for the worst. And not only does he have leprosy, but one of the wonderful things about Scripture, especially in the accounts of the four Gospels, is that there are certain deep pockets of information and detail that are sometimes covered in another Gospel that aren't covered, in this case, Mark's Gospel. So in Luke's Gospel, when he's recounting this story, and remember, he's the physician, he's the doctor, so he's super forensic with all of his details, Luke lets us know that he was suffering from an advanced case of leprosy. So in other words, he really does look a right mess. But on this day, when this man's world is going horribly wrong, he makes a decision that we don't always make the same. He makes a decision that he's not going to sit around and wallow in his pain and in his circumstance, but he makes the decision that on his worst day, on his worst moment, when he's not having a bad day, month or week, he's having a bad season, He makes a decision that he instead is going to break all of the rules and he's going to go running to Jesus. He's not going to cover up his face. He's not going to be shouting, I'm unclean. He's not going to be keeping six feet away from all the people. He makes a decision that on that day, he's going to go straight to Jesus because he's heard that Jesus is the miracle maker. He's heard that he's declaring that he's the son of God, that he can do miraculous and wonderful things. And he makes a decision that on this day, there's not going to be any stopping distance. There's not going to be any six foot rule, but he's going to run straight to Jesus. But what's crazy is he wasn't the only one breaking all the rules. Jesus was breaking all the rules too. 
Because what Jesus did not do was summons all of the rabbinical security team to have this man removed away from him. Jesus did not say, stand away, keep, your, keep six feet away from me, or question him as to why he's not shouting and declaring that he's unclean. Jesus embraces the man and there's a conversation and he even hugs the man and touches the man. I mean, Jesus is breaking all the rules too. He just kind of stands there and lets this man in the middle of his mess be in the presence of the one and only son of the one and only God. And I just love the text. He asks Jesus a question. He says, look, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And actually what's funny is, I think that he was struggling with something that we struggle with all the time too. He could buy into the idea that Jesus was able, like he had the ability to do something wonderful in his life. But what he was questioning really was, but are you willing to do it for me? I know that you're able because you've done it for many other people, but my question is, is, are you willing to do that for somebody like me? Are you willing to do that for somebody who's in as much of a mess that I'm in, completely disfigured physically, struggling and tormented in my mind mentally? Are you really willing to help somebody who's in as much of a mess as me? Because I know you can, I just don't know that you're willing. And I think that that's the kind of statement that we can all relate to too. Like we can understand and buy into the idea that God loves you, yeah, but does he really want to get involved in the middle of the mess that your life's in? Yeah, okay, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us. We can believe in that because he loves us, but is he really willing to get right in the mess of what's going on in my marriage? Is he really willing to get right in the middle of the mess of what I've got going on with my kids or in my place of work? Is he really willing to get into the absolute mess and carnage that I've created for myself financially? I know that he's able to, but is he willing? Because honestly, I'm in a real mess right now. And I think that what we can learn from this story is even though it talks about leprosy, which might not be a thing today, this man was experiencing things that we all experience for example, this was really a story about a man that's just desperate for change. Well, some of us know exactly what it's like to be desperate for change. Maybe you're desperate for something to just change in your marriage or just change with your children, change in a relationship that's just broken down and it feels completely unrecoverable from. You're desperate for change. Well, he knew what that was like too. This man was like us. He knew what it was like to experience a tragedy because one day he wakes up and he sees the spots, right? He didn't see that coming, but he can see it now that his body is covered with this disease. And yet just yesterday, everything was perfect. He'd been blindsided and he couldn't figure it out. Some of you have experienced tragedy. You've been given a diagnosis that you don't know how you're going to handle. You've been told that you're being made redundant and you didn't see it coming. Someone all of a sudden out of the blue has told you that they don't want to stay relationally connected to you. And you're like, why is this happening to me? This man understood tragedy in the same way that you did. This man understood what it was like to be lonely. And many of us know what it's like to be lonely. You can be the biggest character in the biggest and best party and yet still be the loneliest person in the room. We understand all of this just like he did. He understood this idea of asking the question of God, are you really gonna be proud of me? Like, I understand that you love me, but there's no way you're gonna be proud of me, right? So how are you ever gonna work through someone like me? He had zero hope for the future. And that's exactly the place where some of us can find our lives too. You can even be in church serving on a team and yet feel like your life has zero hope for the future. 
And I think the reason why we often feel like we have zero hope is because we keep score. We're mindful, aren't we? Because we know of all the mistakes that we've made in the past. We know of all the errors that we've made. We know about the time when we went scheming and we were planning to have a good sinning session. And we remember all of those things. And that makes us think, well, there's no way Jesus would ever want to get in the middle of my mess because we keep score. But on that day, this guy completely got past all of his past. He completely got past all of his physical disfigurements. He completely got past all of his mental torture. And he decided this is the day that I'm going to take my mess and stand in the presence of Jesus. Check what Jesus did, verse 41. He says, he reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean immediately. The leprosy left him. I just want you to think about this for a moment. This would have been career suicide for the rabbi Jesus on this day because everybody else in the crowd will have been thinking, whatever you do, like don't start to connect and interact with the man that has leprosy. They would have been completely blown away by this. And I think it actually, it's evidence also when you consider what Emma spoke about last week when she was talking about a miracle where Jesus spat in the eyes of someone, they would have been thinking, well, he doesn't even have to physically get involved. So why does he get physically involved? Because there are other miracles where Jesus didn't physically have to touch someone. He could, do, he could just say the word. But on this day, it was almost as though Jesus was trying to give him this message and say, listen, my words can heal your physical body, but my touch can heal your soul. My touch can heal the deepest, most intimate parts of your being that you think are never in a position to be restored. Jesus was saying, I'm right in the thick of that. Jesus' words healed his body, but it was his touch that healed his soul. He was trying to say to this man, look, I understand that for you, you feel like a right mess. You feel like a failure. You feel like you've done something wrong that would keep me away from you. But this was Jesus's way of being willing to say to him, I am getting right in the middle of whatever it is that you consider to be your greatest mess. And I'm gonna stand here and I'm gonna embrace you. It was his way of saying, there's nothing that you can do that can ever separate me from being willing to get close to you. That is what the story is all about. A number of years ago, before I was a pastor of a church, I was in the police. And some of you have heard some of my police stories over the years. But I think that what the police actually does is that it exposes you to certain things that actually become normative that should never be normative to anybody. And you get used to dealing with things in a certain way. But there are always, I think, stand out moments and occasions and incidents, typically because they are just tragic in their nature, that always stick on your mind and sometimes really aggressively play on your mind. I can remember being a cop and I was working on what was called response. And what they basically do is they're the ones that respond to any of the treble nine calls. So when someone's world is falling apart and everything's going completely crazy, they send in response officers to go and deal with all of that. You're the first on the thin blue line to go and deal with whatever is going on. You're the first there. You're the first on scene. I remember this one day and you just kind of get the vibe that things are going wrong when you're working in the police. And I guess all the emergency services are the same. You become aware that things are going wrong quickly because of the chatter on the radio. 
You're aware that things are progressively getting more serious and out of control because it takes on a new tone, almost like a more serious tone. And now it's very much so like we're, we're on mission here. We've got to get things done. And there's this whole cross-transference of information that's happening at a very fast pace. And you know that things are going wrong. There was a gang of lads that had broken into a house and they'd stolen the keys from within the house in order to get this sports vehicle. And they basically, they'd driven off in this car. It was a stolen vehicle. And a colleague of mine was in pursuit. He'd managed to get right behind this vehicle. But what had actually happened was they started to drive this vehicle incredibly recklessly at speeds that you should never be driving a car, especially when you're driving it on the wrong side of the road, which was exactly what they were. So as this pursuit is taking place, you kind of, you're all trying to get set to figure out where you're going to go and how you're going to respond. And literally, the place where I was was on a big, major junction, and it was going to come right in front of me. And literally, I'm sat in my vehicle, and I'm watching this junction. And it's almost like it happens in slow motion, because this vehicle that is speeding, driving on the wrong side of the road, it goes through this major set of junction this major set of traffic lights at a major junction that are on red for him and he goes through them and he collides with a multiple number of vehicles and it is just, it's just carnage. It's like something out of a movie. I mean, like cars are flipping over, a van was toppling over. It is just like it's off the road, it's smoke. It's just, it's just crazy. So as I'm watching this whole thing happen, trying to think like, what on earth what on earth am I going to do here? I take my vehicle right into the middle of the junction and I'm getting out and I'm thinking like, I have no clue where to go first. And just in the periphery of my vision, there are these members of the public that are screaming. I mean, they are. They're screaming real bad. And I go running over to them and I'm trying to figure out like, what is going on? And it transpires that there were these two kids, beautiful kids, 20 years of age, studying in university. And as this car has gone through all of the vehicles at this major junction, one of the vehicles, it had spun it completely out of control and it had taken these two kids out who were just walking hand in hand on the pavement. And they are screaming. And I'm thinking like, I have no clue what to do here. So I go and find this girl and like, I'm thinking, I've got to do something. But it honestly, it doesn't look like there's anything that I can do because sometimes you just know. Like sometimes you just go, there's nothing that I can do. And I'm looking at this girl whose body is in an absolute mess and I'm thinking, I could try working on her, but I know this is futile. And then I can see the boy that she's been with and he's now thrown a whole bunch of feet away and he's literally buried in a bush. And I'm thinking that he's gonna be deceased too. So I literally, I'm on my hands, my knees, I'm climbing through this bush and I get up to this boy and like his body is in shapes and spaces that a body should never be in. And I'm thinking that he's dead too. I get right up to this boy and man, his body is in a mess. There is just blood everywhere. And as I'm trying to like just fight to find a pulse, is he like, I can hear him and he's, (sighs) (sighs) he starts to just try and take a breath. (sighs) And as I get this boy and I'm thinking I've got three boys and (sighs) 
he starts to speak to me. He says, just don't leave me. Just don't leave me. And I grab this boy and I put my arms around his head and I get right in his face. And I don't even know his name or anything. I say to him, dude, I am not going anywhere. And he's carrying on trying to breathe. Just don't. I'm like, buddy, I am not going anywhere. And I mean like, I am covered in every bodily fluid imaginable, his arms, his legs, everything's the wrong space. And I'm trying to grab this boy, I'm going to him. Listen, I am not going anywhere. And when I read that story, I think that that's the message. I think that that's what Jesus was trying to convey to us. Like he spoke words of healing to this man that had leprosy, but he touched him, he reached out to him. He was almost willing to say to him, look, I don't have any other way of letting you know that I'm willing to get right involved in your mess. I'm willing to get right involved in the dirt of your life. I'm willing to get involved in everything that you think and are fearful of as being unsightly to me. I want you to know that I'm willing to stand right beside you. And I don't care what all the other religious people think. I don't care what the crowd has to say. I don't care if if people are gonna start to cancel me. I'm gonna grab you and hug you and let you know that even on your worst day, I'm so glad that you've come to me because even on your worst day, I'm willing to get right involved in the mess of your life. And it's non-dependent of your history or your context or your background. I'm willing to have you stand in my presence. And I just wonder, are stories like that contained within Mark's Gospel so that we today in Liverpool One Church can learn something about the very Father heart of God and the way in which He wants to respond and interact interact with you on your worst day, on your worst week, when you're in a season of feeling like, God, I know that you're able, but I don't think that you're going to be willing to work with a mess like me. Maybe this story is in place so you and I can know today, actually, this is the great God that we serve. He is willing and able to get right involved in the mess of your life. And now I know this to be true. I know that there's now two groups of people in church. There's one group of people, and like you're a Christian, you're here in church, you're maybe even serving on a team, but even you, you've still got the whole mental thing going on. Like, you know that God's able to do incredible things, but even you say about you, but I don't think He's willing to do that for someone like me. Well, in a moment, we're gonna be praying for you because I think this story gives us proof he is exactly that. He is a good God, absolutely able and willing to jump into your mess. Or maybe actually you're someone that's in church today and you didn't even see any of this coming. Like you're only here because you were on a promise on a date and a free dinner. And you're just like, I wasn't expecting any of this. But now you're in church, you wanna become a Christian too. So right now I'm gonna ask and invite us all to stand to our feet because we're gonna pray right now.
And I understand it. I get how this goes. We're in church. It can feel a little bit awkward. It can feel a little bit weird. But that's not what our heart is towards anyone. But if you're in that first group that I've just described, like you're the one that you know that you've got just stuff going on in your life. You're having a bad day. In fact, you're having a bad week. Maybe it's a bad year. Maybe it's just a bad season and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And you've just got stuff going on in your life that just feels incredibly messed up and broken. And you're just like, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't think there are any options available to me. I could run away, but that's not really going to fix it. I could start drinking, but you know, that's not going to fix it. And you know that what you're dealing with in life is just a great big mess. And your question today is, okay, now I need Jesus to get involved in the middle of my mess. I'm gonna ask every single one of us to close our eyes and bow our heads. And if that's you, like you're a follower of Jesus, but you've just got a mess going on and you want Jesus to get in the middle of your mess, would you just raise your hand right now for me and say, I want you to pray for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing, here as well, brilliant, here. Yeah, your hands, I see it, I see it. Amazing, over on the wings as well, brilliant. Amazing, amazing. Okay, bring your hands down. I'm gonna say a prayer. For every single one of you that has raised your hands, that's just like, man, I'm in a mess and I just need, I need Jesus. I just need Jesus to get involved in everything that I've got going on right now. So we're gonna pray for you with every eye closed and every head bowed. Heavenly Father, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, that in this moment, this holy sacred moment where we stand before you in church, you know of every single one of our needs, every single one of our dreams, every single one of the tensions that we're managing. And for these people, God, it feels like they're in such a mess, they haven't got any options. God, for some of them, it feels like they're so far away from You right now that it almost feels futile asking You to. But God, You say and You show us in Your Word that You're the God that gave us Jesus, which is the Jesus that gets involved in the middle of our messes. So God, would You supernaturally, would You supernaturally, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, would You come close and let people feel Your presence, this tangible difference. Let there be an element of change, a point of difference that arrives in their world as they earnestly pursue You, as they say, God, today they're willing to run to You and break all of the rules just to be close to You. And as You embrace them, God, would You do something that only You can do? God, would You work a miracle in their life today? We ask this all in Jesus' mighty Name. But with every head still bowed and every eye still closed, maybe you're not the person that's in the mess today. I mean, your life might be in a mess, it might not be, but you're the person in church today and you're just like, man, I'm not even a Christian. I didn't even know this was a thing. And yet you've been maybe even coming for a few weeks and you feel like now is the moment where it's your time to make your peace with God. This is your time to get right with your Father. This is your time to draw a line in the sand and say, from this point on, I'm gonna become a follower of Jesus because I understand that God has given us His one and only Son and anybody that believes in Him shall not die, but have heaven and eternity forever. Like you didn't even know it was possible to walk this closely with a God that loves you and cares for you and is compassionate towards you. And on this day, you've arrived at a place of saying, God, I want in. Whatever you've got for me, whatever your plan is, I want in. I want to be a follower of you. So if that's you, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hands for me and I want you to do it boldly and bravely. Three, I want you to not worry what the person to the left of you or to the right of you is thinking. But if your heart is beating right now and you're saying, I wanna make peace 
with my Maker too, then this is your chance, it's your moment, it's your opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to the cross, to say yes to the resurrection and say yes to heaven forever one. If that's you, raise your hand right now so I can see it down here in the middle as well. Anybody else at the back, on the side, on the wings, amazing. At the very back, I see your hands, I see yours too. Hey, Liverpool One Church, can we just give a huge round of applause for every single person that's making a decision to come right with the Father today? Because now we're gonna really seal the deal. So you can bring your hands down, let me pray for you. And I'm gonna ask you to say this prayer in your heart after me right now. Heavenly Father, today I come to you believing that you're real and believing in your Son, Jesus Christ. I believe His life was given for me. And through His death and resurrection, I can know you today. Forgive me of my sins and all that I've done wrong and make me clean in your eyes because I want you to live in my heart. I'm asking you to become the Lord of my life. So from this point forth, I call myself a Christian and I call myself a follower of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.